smattering of applause. <laughs> Maybe wait till I'm done. See what that's. Um, so I'm gonna start off with something I don't know if I'm allowed to say or if I should say or not. So here we go. <clears throat> um, the Bible is hard. Right? There's, it's hard in the sense that there are parts of it that are really challenging, but sometimes it's just hard to understand. Right? We're going to look at a passage today that talks about some lands with some goofy names that are hard to pronounce. We're going to look at some leaders who we aren't at all familiar with who lead in a political context which is entirely foreign to us. And then if you think about the greater context that the Bible was written in, depending on the time period, it was either... Uh, agrarian, right? People were farmers, or it was tribal and nomadic, or uh, imperial. We, none of that is relatable to us. So we have um, a lot of obstacles to overcome, right? I guess for lack of a lack of a better term. And all of those obstacles are not a reason to ignore the Bible or to say it's old, it's irrelevant. Right, that th those arguments don't hold water. Here's what those obstacles do mean, is that every time we engage Scripture, we have to ask the Holy Spirit to guide our reading. And, and, not but, or, and we do it together. Right, the Bible, as important as our individual time of Scripture reading is, the Bible was not written for us to go in a closet and read by ourselves. The text of the Bible was written to be read aloud and to be shared in a community. And as it was being read aloud, people would discuss it. Right? So first and foremost, we need this presence of the Holy Spirit. And I would almost go so far as to say equally as important is we need each other to help guide our reading, to correct and redirect and encourage and support. So as we, we're going to do some reading from the book of Isaiah, right? Not terribly uncommon name, but it's not a name that we're really used to. And we're going to look at a conversation that he had with and about a king named Ahaz. There's a name that we're not used to, right? And from this account of Isaiah was a prophet, one of God's messengers, hundreds of years before Jesus. We started this conversation last week in Isaiah chapter 7. And I'm going to pick it up today in Isaiah chapter 9. It's really one big block of this conversation between Isaiah and King Ahaz. And where we're at in this, this conversation, we've been talking about not God's, God is not God's name. We're going to see a bunch of names for God today. But these are the ones that we've looked at already. Okay, We look at the Lord sees me and the story of Hagar. And we looked at the Lord is my banner and Moses and the, the battle that, um, that they were engaged in. And the Lord is peace. The Lord is my shepherd, King David, right? The Lord is peace was Gideon's story. Um, the Lord is the everlasting God, a theme throughout the Bible that we see. And last week we started Emmanuel, or God, with us. And today we're going to kind of finish that with what does that mean? What is Emmanuel, God, with us? How does he live with us? And that's what, that's what we're going we're gonna to look at. In this conversation between um, Isaiah and Ahaz, Ahaz ha is in a bad way, right? He is the king of 
little kingdom that is surrounded basically by enemies. All right, if we lo you look at the map behind me, this is here. This is Ahaz's kingdom, right? That's Judah. And there are people from Israel. This is confusing, right? Because you think Israel are the good guys. In this time period, the kingdom is divided, and the king of Israel and the king of Amon, or sorry, Aram up top, they're joined forces, and they're coming down, and they want to take over Judah. Also, there's some stuff going on down here that Ahaz has to worry about. They're trying to come up and take over Judah as well. All that to say, Ahaz is in a bad way, right? He's surrounded by enemies. So his big idea, Ahaz's big idea, is to go to the king of all of this green stuff, right? I can't even begin to pronounce his name, Tiglath-Pelestazar. That's the king of Assyria. And Isaiah is trying to break through to Ahaz, like, you don't have to do that. God in heaven is on your side, and he wants to fight for you. You don't have to do that. Ahaz is like, I'm good, bro. I'm going to the king of Assyria. And he, he strikes a deal with the king of Assyria. So this, that's kind of the context where we pick up Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. You got all, that's a lot, of, a lot of stuff. We got all that? It's okay if we don't. All right. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. I'm going to read the whole passage through, and then I'll go back and I'll try and explain some of this stuff. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Nevertheless, so there's a few kind of words or techniques that the biblical authors use <clears throat> that are begging us to like pay more attention to them. Therefore, if you see the word therefore in scripture, you need to go back before that and figure out what, what it's pointing to. When the biblical authors repeat a phrase, they're doing it for emphasis rather than an exclamation point and a punctuation. Um, but they're also, it could be signaling a pattern, right? When a phrase is repeated, there could be a pattern showing up. It could be a, a change in a pattern. So we need to pay attention to it. Nevertheless is one of those words. Not a very common word, but it points back to all that stuff that I described. Even though Ahaz has made a bargain with the king of Assyria and all this, it's not going to go well for Judah and for the land around him. Even though that's going to happen, nevertheless, 
all of that stuff that I just read. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. It says he, right? I highlighted he because that's the Lord. I just want to make sure that that's who we're talking about. He humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. So, um, again, places, names that are kind of hard to understand. Zebulon and Naphtali are two of the 12 tribes of Israel. This little corridor is basically became the front door for every invading army that came in from the north throughout ancient history. And these folks got roughed up repeatedly. And yeah, we can feel sorry for them, but a lot of it was due to their covenant infidelity, right? God told them what to do. He gave them the land, live in the land. Here's how you should live when you're in the land. And they chose to ignore God. And in large part, because of that, these armies kept coming through there. I'll give you a little bit of context, right? Here's the, here's the Sea of Galilee. Um, go, we'll go back to, sorry, I'll stop going back that far. Right, so here's, here's the kingdom of, of Assyria. This little, that's Zebulon and Naphtali. That's the Sea of Galilee. And what Isaiah is saying when he's, when he's talking about this, they have, um, that God is now going to honor these people that have been the front door to every invading, to every invading enemy. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. That light, Matthew, right? This is like one of those movies that has one story that's running in this timeline and another story that's running in this timeline. So like I said, it's not easy to keep up with this. Matthew, the author of the Gospel of Matthew, tells us 700 years later, he quotes this passage about Jesus' ministry. This is where Jesus started his ministry on that northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. It's where he headquartered it and where he did a lot of his miracles. This is in Matthew chapter 4. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulon, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea by the Jordan of Galilee. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus is bringing the kingdom of heaven to these people who have been roughed up for centuries. In all of this darkness that they've lived through, and in all of the circumstances, this tradesperson from a backwater town in nowhere comes through and is going to bring them a great light. All right, so now we go back in the timeline. We're back into 700 years before. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors dividing the plunder. So here's another one of those things that we don't really get, right? Not many of us are farmers. We might do a little bit of gardening, right? But we're, I don't, if I grew something, I probably would throw a party because I can't grow stuff. I just kill stuff. <laughs> Um, but they, there were big celebrations at the end of the harvest because that meant that they had been provided for, they're going to be okay for the next year, and all the, the hard work of that season is done. Um, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Like even our, like our modern day soldiers don't divide plunder like they used to. They don't go in, raise stuff, take it for themselves, and 
and leave. Again, we don't, we don't understand this. So I was trying to think of like the closest thing and I, all I could come, come up with was the, like the end of the semester, right? If you're in college or finals or whatever and you're just like, you're just done. Or at the end of the school year in elementary school, like I just remember that feeling looking forward to summer vacation and like that, when that day hits, just be like, oh, yes. Um, and so this is kind of like the light that God is going to bring to these people, even though right, their leader chose to seek protection from someplace else. God is going to bring light into that darkness. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke. So if you guys have been around for a couple of weeks, Midian is the army, the nation that Gideon defeated when we studied the name, the Lord is peace, right? So it was a, another battle. We're going to talk a little bit more about it, but it's a battle from back in their history. You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppression. Those are farm implements, and whenever they're uh, talked about in terms of people instead of animals, it's always about people who are being dominated, people who are being oppressed, people who are on the wrong side of the deal. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. All struggle is going to be thrown into that fire, and it's going to be done. People are going to be done struggling. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. So this is a, a small phrase, but it's packed, packed with theological significance for to us a child is born so the messiah the savior is going to be human and he's going to be born just like the rest of us to us a son is given son of god right and he's going to be given this will be a person that is fully human and fully divine it comes as a gift of god not that anybody did anything to deserve it, but a gift of God. We could rationalize into all the gift giving at Christmas, like that's why we give gifts. That can be argued, whatever. <clears throat> and the government will be on his shoulders. So here's the juxtaposition, the, the contrast. The government will be on his shoulders and the yoke of oppression that was on the shoulders of the people. So now this representative of the people of God, Jesus, now, instead of the yoke of slavery, the yoke of oppression, he now wears the mantle of leadership, right? The biblical authors will do, like, he, they use the same, that was really intentional, that he used the same word, the same phrase, shoulders, because that's, um, that's what the Messiah is going to do. So, this, um, this is kind of implicitly connected to the accounts of the birth of Jesus in, in Luke. For to us a child is born, a son is given. In what, when around this time of year, we traditionally lead. It's just three verses we traditionally read. The angel of the Lord said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you, right? That's the, the phrase, that's the connection. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes in a manger. In a manger. If you remember last week, there, this will be a sign. The Lord himself will provide a sign. It's a repeated phrase. 
pay, we need to pay attention. This is the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger, fully human. And he will be called, whoops, jumped ahead, sorry. So that's the, that's the, the, Luke, the Luke passage. It connects to the Isaiah passage. The end of um, the end of the Isaiah passage, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're going to spend some more time on those, so I'm not going to comment on them now. I'm going to circle circle back to them. Of the greatness of his government, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. These words, no end and forever, key us into the fact that this is not going to be any normal human leader, right? The greatest leader who's human, there's going to be an end to that reign. Someday they're going to pass, and that reign will be over. So this tells us that there's, there's got to be more to it than just the next king. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is a, a loaded phrase of uh, its importance and it talks about um, it's meant to point us back to the beginning of that chapter 7 passage which said the Lord himself will give you a sign the Lord, the Lord is who starts this and the Lord is who's going to finish it and it's going to be in his power that it gets finished alright a lot of stuff a lot of stuff what Isaiah was a prophet, a messenger of God. And prophets, above all else, are truth-tellers. Sometimes that truth is forward-looking, but it's always truth, regardless of, of what they're saying. So it's our job, again, under the Holy Spirit's direction, to come together and figure out what it is, what, what is the truth that Isaiah had for King Ahaz, the people of Judah, what does he have for us today? And here's what I would suggest to you, is that God brings light into the darkness in unexpected ways. God brings light into the darkness in unexpected ways. And he does that in our day-to-day, and he does that in the eternal kind of heavenly picture as well. And there's, there's this pattern that we see. Isaiah referred to as in the days of Midian, right? So that's the battle that Gideon fought in Judges 6 and 7. Gideon who was, um, this is going to sound really harsh, I don't think it's, it's not, he was a self-loathing coward, right? He was literally hiding when the angel of the Lord found him. He was threshing wheat in a wine press, literally in over his head, if you remember this conversation that we had. And God, through the angel of the Lord, comes to this guy and says, you're going to lead my people you're going to defeat this Midianite army that looks so imposing, so overwhelming, so threatening. And Gideon is like, I am the least of the least. I'm the smallest of the small. And God says, I'm going to go with you. And that's what led Gideon to say, the Lord is peace. And supernaturally, through Gideon, the un- Gideon is the unexpected way, the Lord brings victory over the Midianite army. And Second Kings Hezekiah, who is King Ahaz's son, right? another great name, Hezekiah actually leads the people of Judah to defeat that huge green army, the Assyrians. Right? The people of Judah defeat the Assyrians, but it's not in any normal way. See, Hezekiah, everything that his dad did wrong, Hezekiah did right. 
Hezekiah brought the people back to the Lord, and he re-implemented all the things that God asked of the people. And he's talked about as one of the greatest kings of, of ancient, ancient Judah and, and Israel. But it wasn't his army. It wasn't his skill. It wasn't his leadership. God supernaturally wiped out 180,000 Assyrian soldiers. The soldiers of Judah didn't lift a finger. Right? So in an unexpected way, God comes in the middle of darkness. This army, it got described as locusts. It got described as gnats. It was just like swarming. That was what the people were, were waiting on, that that was coming towards them. And God, in his way and in his timing, conquered them. And this is exactly what we see in Jesus. Right? I brought us to the passage in Matthew that said Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these, uh, this light that's going to be brought into the darkness. And in the, the Luke passage, it says that Jesus is the Lord, the Messiah. So what is it going to be like? How, what can we expect from Jesus? And this is where we go back to these great, this great list of terms. We read the term wonderful counselor. And in the biblical, um, in the biblical language, wonderful makes us think divine, right? That this is something of God. Is that me? Am I doing that? I will try to be still. Um, so it makes us think divine. And counselor, it's not like a, a therapist or a doctor or anything. It's more like somebody who gives a plan. If you're familiar with Godfather, like a consigliere, like he's got a plan. But this is a perfect divine plan. This is a plan. Remember, last week we talked about how God he doesn't need us. He wants to be with us. Right? He wants to be with us. He wants to be with us even though we insist on acting like we're smarter than him. Even though we insist like trying to be God ourselves. God didn't think that was a big enough problem to get in the way of our relationship. He and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in eternity past put a plan together that would allow humanity to be restored to relationship with the God of the universe. That's what wonderful counselor means. They, that's who, who did that. It's a divine, perfect plan to restore humanity to relationship with God. Mighty God. So think about the power and strength of somebody bigger than you coming to your rescue and fighting for you. Right? This is how the plan begins to unfold, that Jesus is going to fight for us. And let's be really clear, the power that we're talking about in Mighty God, this is the power that speaks creation into existence out of nothing. Right? This is the power that heals. This is the power that rises from the dead. This is a power that we know nothing about and can't even begin to comprehend. And so when, when we think about that kind of vision that could put a plan together, that would bring humanity back into relationship with God, and we think about that kind of power that can do those things, I don't know about you guys, but man, there are some human examples of people with great vision and lots of power who totally abuse it and who hurt people and who rough them up. And unfortunately, we don't have to go outside the walls of the church to, to see examples of that. But that's where Everlasting Father comes in, right? Everlasting Father, think of the love 
and the protection and the provision of a father. Think about how a new father just like dotes over their child and would do anything to protect that child, throw themselves in front of a bus for that baby, right? That's the modifier on wonderful counselor and mighty God is everlasting father. And all of that protective um, providing qualities, they're modified by everlasting. They're eternal and infinite. And because that is who is fighting for us, he's called the Prince of Peace. We have access to a sense of well-being and a sense of wholeness that we otherwise couldn't, couldn't experience. And the last, I did it again. The last thing is that zeal, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The zeal is um, its dedication, its commitment, its loyalty. It's somebody that is absolutely stuck to you. And I think I've used the phrase before, it's somebody that loves you and is for you no matter what you do or how many times you do it. Right? And it's the zeal of the Lord Almighty that will accomplish this. So the prophet is a truth teller. Right? This is what he tells us. There's this pattern that God brings light into the darkness in unexpected ways. And he's having, Isaiah's having this conversation with Ahaz, and Ahaz chose poorly. Right? Isaiah's telling him, God is going to bring light into this dark situation. So the truth for us is that we have a choice to make. Right? We can look to the power that's offered to us in Jesus. The power to forgive sins. Right? The power to heal. The power to restore. We can turn to Jesus or we can turn to, unfortunately, a myriad of other things, whether it's another relationship, whether it's our own power, or maybe it's just numbing the hard stuff in life, however we might choose to do that. We look to other things instead of God. So I had a week. Ever have a week? I had a week. Get some duct tape. What's that? No, no, it's I keep hitting my microphone. <laughs> um, yep. So uh, I was sick in the, the beginning of the week, and as a result of being sick, I got really behind and all all kinds of work stuff we had um we had family stuff we had family drama going on uh, i don't know if any of you noticed but i crashed the church website for about 36 hours um and i was i kind of like was tripping in and out of gloom and darkness and i'm i'm wrestling with this and i'm like all right God is God, and he's going to do stuff. I'm like, oh. And all that kept coming back to mind was nevertheless. Right? He kept drawing me back to nevertheless. Jesus is the never, nevertheless in history. 
right? Regardless of what we do to bring this stuff on ourselves, regardless what happens to us at the hands of other people, regardless what happens to us, circumstances, Jesus is the nevertheless in history. And so it doesn't, um, nevertheless doesn't always fix all the problems. But it gives us the hope that we need to continue to move through them. So I, as we sit here this morning, you know, Leanne mentioned it at the top of the service, and some of us have had a week. Some of us have had a great, a great week. Nevertheless, works both ways, right? God is still going to be God. He's going to bring light into the darkness, and he's going to do it in unexpected ways. I, don't, I couldn't tell you the last time I used read, saw the word, nevertheless. And that's what God used to bring light into my darkness this week. So my encouragement to you as we head out and into the Christmas craziness and we get pulled in all kinds of different directions, nevertheless, right, that we would choose, that we would choose to look to Jesus, to look to the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, and allow him into our stuff and let him do the things that only he can do. Let's pray. Jesus, we want, we want to choose you this morning. We want to choose you today and every day. Jesus, maybe um, somebody's here this morning and they've never really thought about it in this way. They never thought about your desire to bring light into our darkness. So, Jesus, on behalf of that person, I say, yes, Jesus, we want that light in our darkness. And Ahaz went a different direction. Jesus, we want to turn towards you. We turn towards you and we say we're sorry for trying to be smarter than you, for trying to do your job. And we ask for your forgiveness, Jesus. We ask for your healing. We ask for your wholeness. We ask for your peace. Jesus, we ask these things. We pray these things with a sense of expectancy, expectancy, knowing that 700 years before you were born, Isaiah told us it was going to happen, and it happened. We know you're good to your word. So we pray these things with a sense of expectancy, waiting, hoping, watching for what you're going to do. Jesus, would you be our nevertheless?